Welcome to the Moms of Triathlon podcast. I'm Jen Gottschalk, a former college swimmer turned triathlete. I'm an in-house commercial attorney and mama to Maddox, my 22-month-old son. And I'm Amy Henderson, pro triathlete and competitive cyclist and mother of two to Oliver, who's four, and Margo, who's two years old. This week on the podcast, we have Krista Neugebauer, triathlete, mom, and registered dietitian. And we get into fueling as an athlete and a mom. But first, what's been going on with us this week? Jen, hi. How's your week been going? Hey, Amy. It's been good. Um, Busy. I think I left off last week, you know, mentioning that like the next day after we were recording, I was going to have like eight rental tours the next day and all of that. Um, So a couple of them got canceled and I went to six tours um, and there was like two houses that really stood out when I recapped with Devin and one was like the very first house we went to that day. But like long story short, on Monday we signed a lease. So we have a place officially in Reno. Yay. Yeah. Oh. So that was very exciting. And my sister, my niece, and Maddox were such troopers during that whole day, like coming with me like house to house. And like we got the kids fed. We fit fit in a park where we could, like when we had a little bit of a longer break. Um, so that all went overall like really smoothly, which I was super grateful for. And then we headed to Chico for the weekend to celebrate my nephew's first birthday. So my nephew Jack turned one, which was like Aww. really fun, cute. My brother and sister-in-law just had everyone over for like a backyard barbecue and pool party. Um, so that was cute. And he shares a birthday with my dad. So like their real birthday was Tuesday. Me and Courtney and our kiddos and my mom and dad went out to dinner to this little like pizza wine place near them that has like specials on Tuesday nights too. So that was like (laughs) so perfect. (laughs) Um, And the funny thing from that meal was that um, I had also ordered like a salad in addition to the pizzas we got for the group. And I was like, if anyone wants any salad, like feel free. And then to my surprise, Maddox kept picking out of my salad, but like he was specifically picking out arugula. Wow. And I was like, oh, this oh is gosh. so interesting because like <laughs> sometimes he's like, oh, I want to try. I want to bite a salad. Like I'll have salad. And like usually it's like the ones that are like salads in a bag and like they have a decent amount of dressing or something mm-hmm, on them. Mm-hmm. But like he this was like, you know, a, I think it was like a burrata salad and it was like mostly arugula with like some mixed greens and had like light olive oil lemon type dressing. And yeah. he was just like literally going to town on arugula and arugula is like wow. peppery and I was going to say how peppery was this arugula because yeah. sometimes it's like berries yeah I don't think it was like the most peppery but it was still just like I was like this is very fascinating and he literally yeah. kept like picking at it the whole meal so I was like okay noted I'm gonna try to feed you more arugula yeah does he ever like things that like are a little bit spicy yeah actually okay. now that you ask there's like this mac and cheese that we'd get from this um, one place next to one of the brewers we'd go to in St. Pete. And like every time we'd order it from Matt, they'd be like, is this for a kid? Because we've had parents complain that it's like too oh. spicy because <laughs> it has like some barbecue meat in it and like okay, some, yeah. some of their rub or something is spicy. And we're like, oh no, he eats this all the time. He demolishes it. So like we've gotten hints that he maybe does okay with like a little like heat, a little spice, a little yeah. kick. But yeah, so that was just like really funny. Um nice. Yeah, then, I like uh, it. Um, yeah. Margo also has a tendency to like salads. And if I'm eating it, oh, she funny. always wants us to serve her some. And it's 
Yeah, it's just like Ali still, yeah, won't eat a salad. I, yeah, honestly, when Ali was growing up and a toddler, I was like, when do kids even like physically consume a salad? Because it's not that totally you really have to chew a lot and stuff, you know? Yes. Yeah. So. That's funny. I think that that's pretty unique, like that both Margot and Maddox are into it because like yeah. I've had people look at us and be like, he eats salad. <laughs> like, yeah. <I> guess. <laughs> so funny. The other yeah. thing that I keep thinking of is. So I think I pronounce Arula like you typically, okay. but Nick always from the beginning has always pronounced it arugula. Oh, like pronouncing the G U instead of just like glossing over it and saying arugula. It's yeah. Like arugula. And I just like keep like almost wanting to say that. And every time he says it, I'm like, what are you doing? But it, it also so sort of makes funny. sense. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Now I want to do a poll and ask people I know. how they say it. I know. We have to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we'll make a note. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. And then other than just like, you know, waiting for Devin to get here, which we are anxious to have happen soon. Um, I would say like the highlight has just been that we've been getting in lots of pool time with like Baylor and Maddox, even if it's for just like a little bit, um, both of my parents, like properties, if they're not rented out, they both have pools on them. So like a lot of times they're mostly booked on the weekend. And so during the weekdays, we like sneak over when I'm done working and just like go in the pool for a little bit and it's been hot out. So that's nice, but it's just like really translating well too. Cause even at bath time, Maddox is just like blowing bubbles now and like trying to put his whole face in the water and like doing things that he wasn't doing before and that he wasn't doing even like with swim lessons. But I think it's just that like, it's been pool time. That's just for fun. And so, yeah. and like Baylor's pretty fearless. So even though she's younger than oh, him, yeah. I think he's like, huh? Okay. Like, Maybe mm-hmm. I don't have to cry when mom says blow bubbles. Like maybe <laughs> it can be a fun thing to do in the pool. Yeah. So that's been really good. But yeah, that's been like the main things going on with our week. What's been going on with you? Well, this past weekend was the official end of my road season. It's been weird because I know like in other places, you know, I mean, we're still early August, right? There's a little bit more road racing going on. But for me, it was sort of the big finale. It was a double crit weekend. And these are both in Portland. And these are both hosted by my team. So it's not just like (laughs) double race weekend, but also a lot going on. And honestly, you know, Cass um, requested this weekend off so she could go down to Lake Tahoe with a friend um, so actually getting close to you. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, and she, and so, you know, of course, like, we want her to be able to get out and travel and, like, maybe not the most convenient weekend for me and Nick, but um, so I haven't been able to, like, be at the races and volunteering as much as I, I wish I could, but I've still been yeah. able, or I w- was still able to get in a lot of time with the team and that was really cool we have teammates in Seattle who came down and so we had all of us together so it was really fun getting to cap off the season with lots of special team time and like I'm so excited for next year too we just have such a good group and we really built some cool momentum this year so you know it's fun now that I've like experienced it now I get during this off season to look forward to something But of course, you know, we're getting into cross season. So that's coming up. 
Um, but yeah, for the crits, basically, the super exciting thing is that the Friday before, one of my teammates reached out to Kendall Ryan, who is one of the top crit racers in the country. And she is on the team Legion of LA, which is like, sent, like in many people would say like the top crit racing team. At least I would. I don't know that much about it, but they are like the ones who sort of dominate the races and they are known for their lead out train at the end of the race. So they get all the their riders to the front of the course or the front of the Peloton at the end. And they, you know, one by one, you have someone like do a hard pull and then they pull off and then the next person pulls up and then they pull off and you're trying to set your sprinter up and keep the pace so high that no one can come around. And then Mm. your sprinter at the end in the last like 200 meters or whatever is able to go around and win essentially. Yeah. That's the goal. (laughs) And so we, my, teammate reached out to her just like on Instagram, I think. And she sat down on zoom at 8 PM Friday night and like gave us her tips on having a lead out train. And then we got two back-to-back races to practice it. And honestly, like our lead out trains, they weren't perfect. Obviously we're still learning this, but we definitely had moments of like an actual, we were the team in both races. We were the team in the front of the group with multiple people doing hard pulls in the last lap of the race, like leading it out. Wow. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It was sweet. In the first race, I ended up, I was the one who like, I had made it to a breakaway. I was the one. And then we lapped the field. So we were back in the pack. So our team could help us out again. And so I had two of my teammates in front and I got on their wheel and I knew that they didn't necessarily know I was there. So I was like, I got to communicate. And I was like, Hannah is there both named Hannah. (laughs) I was like, I'm here. (laughs) Like, let's go. And it was the last lap. And they just like went so hard and got me exactly where I needed to be. And I got third, which was super cool. Yeah. And then the next, the next day, um, we were working for my teammate, Angela, who's our sprinter and had a great you know, train ahead. And like, I'm a, I've been a little bit disappointed about that race because Angela told me to act as sweepers. So basically sit on her wheel to prevent other people from getting on it and getting Mm. the benefit of the train and essentially talking with my coach after and like debriefing, I should have, when the pace got a little bit lower from our lead out, like we, and people started essentially swarming. So when people start, you know, coming up, cause it's not hard enough and they can move up, I should have gone and like taken over the lead out myself and sat in front Mm. of her and tried to get her into that position. And so, and which I never would have thought of, like, I didn't know that's a thing. I I didn't know like, Oh, you can get into the lead out that late. Like, you know, and yeah. Um, so it's all learning. So it's great, but yeah, 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 it ended this, it ended the season on both a high note and also like a very much like I want more and like good things are going to happen next year. Yeah. I was going to say, it sounds like you're hungry for next season. Like probably most of your team is too. And like you ended on a high note, but a note where you all were still learning something too. So like there's room for improvement and you're going to be like, Oh, we got to like build off that. That's so fun. Totally. Totally. So yeah. So it's been a good week. Well, let's get into our interview. This week on the podcast, we have Krista Neugebauer. She is a registered dietitian and the team dietitian for Paragon. 
She's also a mom of two boys and a triathlete. She raced at 70.3 Worlds in St. George in 2022. And today we're going to get to hear more about Krista's personal background and also get into a lot of questions about fueling as an athlete. Krista, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. One of the first questions that we always like to ask our guests is to tell us about their kids. So I see that you've got two young boys. Tell us about them. Yes, I have a two and a half and a four and a half, and they are full of energy. Um, They're amazing. They're super fun. Um, And they, it's just fun to explore the world with them. You know, they both are very different in personalities, um, but they absolutely love each other. And it's super fun to watch them. They're only 22 months apart. And so they're, they're best friends all the time. Um, or they're ready to like duke it out, you know, um, (laughs) the little one super is super into his, his bigger brother. And so it's, it's really fun to watch them just grow and mature and develop and see their personalities and, um, and just really kind of slow. They've taught me to slow down and embrace life and embrace the small things. Um, even though it gets kind of crazy and busy and hectic, you know, as a mom and, um, and trying to balance everything, but it's just, they're, they're super fun. Um, and every day is kind of a a new adventure. So. Yeah, totally. I love that. And that's the same. My kids are 24 months apart to just turn two and just turn four. So I, you're just like, Half a year ahead of me, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. yep. I know. It's so satisfying seeing the moments of them playing together and hanging out. But then, like, a second later, they're (laughs) they're fighting. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. you got to take both of them. (laughs) They're both the good and the bad. Yeah. Um, So you, I saw that you have been doing triathlon for nine years. Tell us a little bit about how you first got involved in sport as a kid, if you did, and then how did you discover triathlon? Yeah. So I've, um, my parents joke that I've been running like since I was born. Um, (laughs) I, when I was little, I played church basketball and then like in middle school, I played volleyball and basketball and in high school, I played those as well and then ran track and cross country. And then, you know, like, like we all graduate high school. And if, if we're not good enough to play for college, it's like, well, then what, you know? And, um, so I started running and I've always loved running. And I just started picking that up. One of my professors gave us, um, she offered extra credit for anybody who did a 5k. Oh, wow. I was like, I love running. I will go run for extra credit. Right. Like who wouldn't do that? Of course. So I got my sister and we went, (laughs) I know, right. Like (laughs) sign me up. Um, so my sister and I went and I did my first 5k with her and it was, I, I fell in love with actually racing 5ks and, um, it felt so long back then, like running 5k (laughs) was, was huge. You know, now looking back, it's like, that's, that's so cute. But now like being able to run that and really develop the, the relationship with running and, um, was just kind of what took off my my desire to start running longer races. And, um, my husband and I, I, one of the days I told him I was still in college, he was done. And I said, Hey, I really want to run a marathon. You don't have to, but I've done five K's. We've done halves. Now I really would like to do a full. 
And um, I said, you don't have to join me, but I am going to need your help to kind of like kick me out of bed in the morning, <laughs> you know, when I don't want to go. Um, and so he and I decided there was a group called Team in Training and um, we joined Team in Training and he ended up deciding like, I'm going to do it with you too. We went to an, an info meeting and he was like, there's no way I can let you go do your first marathon and not be a part of the journey. And I thought, oh, thank goodness, because now we can both, you know, be going through this together. And um, so we started training with Team in Training. And and the way they work is you fundraise for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And they offered training for marathons, half marathons, triathlons, and cycling um, races. And so throughout our process running and fundraising with Team in Training, we met some Um, individuals training for an Ironman. And so as I started talking to them, I thought, man, that would be super cool. Like to do an Ironman, that's just like the next thing, right? Like I've done a marathon now. Well, now what? And um, so I told my husband, hey, I want to do, I want to do a full Ironman. And uh, I was like, I want that to be my first triathlon. And thankfully, he's the the reasonable person in the relationship. <laughs> he was like, I think we should do a sprint first. Maybe let's start there. <laughs> and so um, we did we did a sprint and we worked up, did, did a half, and then we ended up doing um, Ironman Texas in 2016 for our first full. And um, just ever since then, really fell in love with it and has been a big part of our lives um, together pre-kids. And then having kids, we've had to learn how to kind of um, morph that because we both train. So balancing both of our training schedules and and everything. But, yeah, that's kind of in a nutshell how I started and ended up in the world of triathlon. Wow, that's that's amazing. That's so cool. Yeah, I've heard of team and training before. Are they still around? Do you know? I know the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society is and I know that they're doing things for like uh, I, I, short answers. I don't know. Are they, Jen? Yeah, they are. We worked with them for different um, partnerships and stuff at when I was at Ironman. So I've seen athletes that okay. are associated with team and training over the years. Yeah. That's oh, really cool. cool. Yeah. I love that you and your husband went on this journey together. It's always interesting to me when um, couples do it together because, like, my husband, Devin, is way more into strength training, and he literally thinks I'm crazy. <laughs> like. Um, but you know, so supportive, but he's always like, I don't understand <laughs> the desire to do all the miles, but mm-hmm. I think it must be so much fun to have that companionship in that way. So, yeah, yeah, it was super fun. Like pre-kids, we did all our training together, you know, and, um, mm-hmm. it was one of the ways that we spent time together. And, and if it wasn't originally, I was faster than him and now he's way faster than me. Um, but you know, we can run our like recovery runs together occasionally if we have babysitting, um, now, but pre kids, it was like kind of the way we just hung out together, you know, and maybe he would start and then, you know, be riding on his own. And then I'd see him at the finish, you know, but it was just the way we spent together and spent time together and enjoyed it. And so, yeah. That is one of those things. I remember the first time, cause my husband and I, we met through triathlon also, and he started out faster than me, but then I definitely surpassed him. And since then, he's sort of fallen off, like, training in the same way. 
But I do remember after having our first baby, that first ride when we had childcare and we rode together and I was like, oh my gosh, this is the big thing that changes when you have kids is like, we can't train together nearly at all anymore. So now how do you balance it? Do you train for the same things? What, what does that all look like? Yeah. You know, when they were really little, I could stick them in the stroller and I mean, I can still run with them in the stroller, but right now in Texas, it's just really hot. Oh, yeah. And so I hate to like stick them in a stroller and get sticky and gross. And, you know, if I, so short answer to part of that question is I try to avoid training with them in a stroller anymore because they're big and heavy and it's hot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now I do most of my training in the morning or later in the evening. And um, he trains a lot during lunchtime. His work schedule is flexible enough that he can take a little bit of his time during the afternoon and train. Um, But then there are some mornings like he'll go to a run group and and join Paragon's run group in the morning Um, or he'll, you know, do certain things. So it's it's kind of a a crazy balance. Um, And so I do certain things in the morning and I have to make sure that I'm back before he needs to leave for work. Um, cause he also commutes to work on his bike a couple days. We live mm-hmm. close enough that he can do that and he likes that. So it gets extra miles in. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really just kind of balancing, like, when are you training? And, and he has his, some of his normal time that he trains and I have my normal time that I train. And I think it's also understanding like, Hey, if I don't get up and do this session now, I I'm going to lose it. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I don't get this back normally. Yeah. Um, and then the weekends, I'm sure y'all know too, like, it gets kind of crazy on the weekends, but that's normally when I do my longer stuff. And so trying to balance his and mine. Um, and originally we had decided let's like you train one year and you race and then the next year I'll race. Mm -hmm. And we started with that mindset and both of us were like, we don't like this. I don't like not racing (laughs) for a whole year. That's a horrible idea. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, we, we, that was the thought. And we kind of have shifted and gone, okay, so if one of us is already racing and we're already spending the money to go somewhere, then we try to go ahead and get, um, childcare for the weekend. Um, or like in September he's, I'm racing Saturday and he's racing Sunday. So like if we can do kind of a a balance like that, we try that or we just try to have somebody watch the kids, um, for us. Yeah, it does seem I've heard of the swapping years, but you're right. I mean, that's a long time. And I think a lot of us think about triathlon as a lifestyle and it's fitting it Mm -hmm. in. And we've also I've talked on the show before of like the thing that motivates me is racing. So even if Mm -hmm. I were trying to, you know, be more casual about training, like I would still want some type of race to look over to. Yeah. I mean, the thought was like, well, the other person will just be building a base, right? Right. Like we'll be building, but not necessarily going out and racing. And like you were saying that I love to race. I think partially just being a stay at home mom now and then working virtually. So I, I have to work really hard to get out and to see people. And I love it when I get to be able to see other people on the team or, or train with other people. And so not not to be able to race for a whole year is kind of a big bummer, you know, because yeah. it was a really big social piece in our life. And then um, things have just kind of changed. So, yeah. Yeah, totally. totally. So, yeah. Tell us more about what your day to day looks like. You know, you mentioned being a stay at home mom. I know that you're with the kids a lot. And then you also are a registered dietitian. So 
are you mostly working one-on-one with clients and then with the team? What does it look like? Yeah, I do a bit of both. And so um, when the kids are, so the kids go to something called Mother's Day Out and it's two days a week. I call it school, but it's termed Mother's Day Out. Um, And it's from nine to two. Um, And so when, and they have like a normal school schedule, so they're in school and then have a summer break. Um, And so when they're in school, it works out great. I, I book um, my work those two days and they're like little jewels, you know, during the week because I can make sure that I have those two days set for work. Um, During the summer, what I end up doing is I work during nap time um, or I have someone come watch them if I need to do that. But I really try to organize, you know, it's a fine balance between I want to be present, but I do love what I do in terms of working with athletes and, and being a dietitian. So it's it's balancing all of that. So it's normally nap time and school days um, or this summer has been a little brutal trying to like organize everything and stay on top of everything. But school's almost here. So hopefully we'll get into a little bit more of a routine of um, they drop off to school. I have more time to, to work and focus on that. Um, but yes, yeah, so I, I offer one-on-one sessions and then, um, for, um, for anybody and we will either work on like general nutrition, like daily nutrition, or if somebody feels like I, I feel like my daily intake's pretty good and solid, but I need help with training and race nutrition like that I'm really struggling with. Or um, I have some athletes come in and say, hey, as I've progressed into half and full distances for Ironman, like my nutrition is not where it needs to be. I'm having a lot of trouble. I don't know how much I should be consuming. Um, And so we can work on race specific or we can do both. So we can do general nutrition um, and we can work on training and and race nutrition and kind of fine tune that. Um, And so that's kind of the general layout that I would do. And with Paragon, the cool thing that we've kind of thrown in with those athletes is I'll also um, offer being connected on training peaks. And so I basically am added as a nutrition coach. That's what we term it, but it's just like any other normal coach. Um, And so I'll go on and see what their training is for the week, um, see what their load is and make recommendations on, hey, you know, based on what we've talked about in the past, here are some nutrition recommendations for this workout or Hey, you've got a ride in the morning and a swim in the afternoon. Make sure that you have your recovery, you know, so like really kind of reminding them, giving them guidance. Um, or if it's an athlete and we're changing up their nutrition and they have like a three and a half hour ride over the weekend, like, hey, this is a great ride to test out these things. This is what it would look like. You know, give me some feedback post ride. How did you feel? You know, and so it's a more interactive way you know, and kind of like hands-on option that's been really fun um, to offer to the Paragon athletes through Training Peaks. Yeah, that's wow. really awesome. I think that it would be so easy, like as a triathlete who uses Training Peaks to have it all in one place, right? Um, well, we could, mm-hmm. we saw from your website, you know, that, and you mentioned a little bit, you work, um, you know, on their racing nutrition. We saw that there's like meal planning, um, some macronutrient help, all of that. So do you, do you work with the specific athlete to just find their needs? Do you meal plan for everyone? Like, what does that look like? So there's kind of a general assumption that I'll provide for people, but it's really a, it's it's all based on what they want. You know, if someone comes and they say, Hey, um, 
I want, I want you to give me my, my grams, right? My macros, my percentages for the day. What do I need to be doing? That's most of the time what I'll end up providing because that's usually what people want. Some people like to talk in terms of portion size. So we'll, I'll say, okay, what are your goals? Um, and then do you have any like um, dietary restrictions or medical complications, right? And so we'll make sure that that's all kind of in line. And then we'll usually lay out, this is how much you need to be eating and this is why. Um, and some people like to use certain apps to track what they eat. And some of the apps allow me to be able to see what they report. And so I can actually go on and connect with them and go, okay, based on your needs and what you're reporting, this is maybe what we need to tweak. Or, you know, based on um, how you're feeling, you're, you're feeling really tired in the evening. Okay, let's change up your intake. And from the last couple of days, this is what you've been eating. And so it kind of lets me see what their general intake is. And then based on what they're reporting, you know, how can we kind of change and in, <clears throat> kind of improve what they're doing? Um, so yes, we can do macros, we can do portions, we can do grams. Um, it's really based on whatever the person is wanting and what their goals are in particular. So personally, my concern with working with someone on diet and nutrition for training is honestly like not wanting to track everything that I eat. (laughs) And I've done it, you know, before in my life. I mean, in college, there's been times when I've been like, oh, like what, what does my diet look like, you know, and use different apps to, to track it. And it's a lot of work. (laughs) So when you work with someone, are they like, how long do you work with someone? Is there sort of a point when they feel like, okay, I've been tracking and we've tweaked some things and now I feel like I have a handle on this. And then I know I've heard of people who maybe track like every few months, they'll spend like a couple of weeks tracking just to sort of check in. What, what does it look like long-term and what do you recommend? Yeah. So you're exactly right. Tracking is a pain and it takes a lot of time and work. And honestly, depending on where you are with your relationship with food, tracking may or may not be a good idea. You know, and so um, if if you have a healthy relationship with food and tracking is something that's beneficial, normally for me to be able to give you applicable recommendations, if you can give me just a couple days worth, like that gives me at least an overview. You know, we all eat a little different. Um, there's going to be weekends that might look a little bit different for some people. But, you know, if, if you give me a, a food recall from a day that you went to three birthday parties, like that's not normal, right? So that's not like a day that is going to be helpful for me to give you daily recommendations. So honestly, if you can give me just a couple of days, that gives me a picture and I can work with that. Um, you don't have to track every day. Most of the time, once we create kind of a, a layout of what your days should look like and then give you my, I view my job as educating you um, in kind of the general recommendations that's going to help you with your goals and helping you learn how to apply it. But then you can run with it. You know, like we don't have to track every single day. Um, so I would say the important times to track would be when let's say your training volume increases. So let's say you went from like, you know, you were off season and now you you're in season, but now you're kind of ramping up your training load that we might want to track and make sure that you're eating enough, basically. 
um, or for the opposite, right? Some athletes struggle with not continuing to gain weight once they're going into kind of off season. Well, then maybe you want to start tracking your intake for a few days just to make sure you're not overeating, you know, because you're not training for an Ironman currently, you know? So, um, I, for most people, I don't recommend tracking every day just because it's not even feasible. And once you know what you need to do, um, a lot of the people I work with are very type A and organized and focused. And so, you know, I'm not really worried about the little like one-offs, you know, or like, well, you were three grams off your protein needs today. Like that's not the huge difference. Right. So I would say key times to track is when your volume changes or if we're really trying to change um, body composition, you know, and really need to tweak that, then maybe shifting there. Or if you're having some sort of, you know, crazy symptom or thing that's going on that we think, okay, well, let's track your intake and make sure that um, we're getting enough of this or we're not getting too much of that. So. Yeah. That's really, it's really interesting. The longest I've ever tracked was, I want to say like January through August or September in 2020. Um, but, and I'm sure like we could dive into so many things on like, was I in a healthy state? Was I not? But it was, um, for me, I personally found that it provided me way more food freedom than whenever I wasn't tracking and it'd be, yeah, I'd be so interested to get into it with you sometime, Krista, but I actually, my body composition was like the best it's ever been in my life, like better than when I was a collegiate swimmer, I would say. Um, and actually throughout the year, we kept having to add more food, um, you know, more protein, more carbs, whatever it might be. And so I think I have a tendency to probably not have the right percentage makeup when I'm not tracking, but I actually undereat. But I will gain weight sometimes because I put my body into this state of being overstressed over everything. And it starts, I mean, you've probably seen this before, right? Mm -hmm. It starts hanging on to everything like I'm yes or whatever. Um, And it's so interesting because I did that in law school, too. And like I've had these different periods and my husband would always be like, Jen, it's simple math, calories in, calories out. And I'm like, that's not working for me because like. At one point in law school, I was eating only 1,200 calories a day, don't recommend, obviously, and was running (laughs) or riding my bike to and from CrossFit and gaining weight. And I would be like, so upset. And Devin, love him, but would be like, no, it's calories in, calories out. And I was like, no, it's not. Something's not right. (laughs) You know? And so for me, tracking has helped me um, eat more make up the right calories. And yet I can do that and become fitter and fitter. Right. So it, I think it's like you, what you said, and obviously you're the expert here, but really knowing probably yourself and like, you probably have to make sure you're like looking for signs in your, you know, clients of like, do they have a healthy mindset? Like what's happening here? But, um, that's just like been my personal experience. Um, But it's also, also different being a mom. So I'm curious if you ever have to factor in other things with like meal planning or macro tracking or just helping your clients have a healthy mindset when they're trying to do it all for themselves and are like feeding little ones and, you know, living a hectic life. (laughs) And even like, do you add the calorie 
if someone's breastfeeding, do you have like a blanket number of like extra calories you tell them to eat? Yeah, definitely. And, and a lot of times moms, they're not, they're so focused on their kids and they're so focused on everybody else that, you know, we kind of push our needs down to the bottom of the barrel. And then we wonder why, like, we're so tired and why we're so stressed and why we can't emotionally be stable and why our, like, things are setting us off really easily. Like, we're just, you know, and, and sometimes it's, yes, being a mom, especially of little ones, babies, you're sleep deprived. Like, there's lots of reasons why all of that could be not going great. And that's kind of just part of that stage of life with little ones. But if you can fuel yourself, then it can be a little easier, you know. And and so, yes, when you're breastfeeding, you need more nutrition. Um, you need more fluid. Like you need more hydration when you're breastfeeding. Um, and so all of that definitely plays a role. And, you know, Jen, you talked about tracking helped you. It kind of you're exactly right. There are some people that I work with that it it releases the pressure and it gives them the permission. Like sometimes whether you're a mom or not a mom, you need the permission to eat certain things or to allow yourself some flexibility. Um, And so, yes, trying to juggle all of that, it's okay. And it's normal to feel overwhelmed by everything that you're doing. Um, And it's also okay to prioritize your nutritional intake so that you can be a better, more loving, more patient, more kind mother, um, you know, for the whole day, which you're on call all day. And so being able to fuel yourself throughout the day is going to make you a much more loving, kind, uh, patient mother, which are all things that we have to work really hard on every day especially when we're really tired. And so then you throw in being depleted of nutrition, like everything just gets so much harder. Yeah. I really struggle with like, I'm a very slow eater (laughs) and I always have been. And like, even with eating with Nick, he has learned that at a meal, you know, this is like when we're dating, right? Like I'm so slow. I'm always the last person at the table. And so he knows he finishes, he eats at his pace for like three quarters of his meal and then he waits and then he finishes the rest as I'm finishing mine. So it's sort of like being on a ride together, but <laughs> our eating paces. And and so I struggle. I mean, right now, for example, like I had this whole like turkey cheese pita because I went on a ride before this and I had a recovery shake, but I was like, okay, like I'm still hungry But if I don't sit down and just focus, like, it's hard for me. I'll just leave. The food will just be sitting there. You know, it happens with my breakfast. It happens with, like, everything. And and so then, yeah, if I'm watching the kids and they're around, then, like, it's really hard for me, even if I make the food, to eat it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, or, like, some, some moms will be like, well, if I'm eating something and my kids want it, then, like, I'm going to give it to them, right? right? And and that's not necessarily bad, but then now you need to make sure you replenish yourself still. Yeah. You know, it's okay to share with them, but then it's like, well, okay, what do I actually need? And and that, um, you know, I, I know we, we don't want to waste food. We don't want to, like, throw food away. And it's a fine balance, especially with kids of how do you do all that. 
Um, and it, it's okay. Like there are times where I go, you know what, I'm going to share my food with the kids, but then I have to make a mental note of, okay, they ate this much. I need to make sure that I eat X, Y, and Z because Mm -hmm. they ate way more of my food than I anticipated, you know? And, (laughs) And so it's, it's not bad to go through that approach, but then it's making that mental note of, okay, I'm going to be depleted if I don't make up for what I missed, you know, because they, they have a, had a bigger appetite today, you know, and they liked my food when we went to, you know, whatever restaurant or whatever it is. So, yeah, totally. One thing for me that, I mean, basically pretty much every night when I'm training, I, you know, I eat a pretty, I try to eat a big dinner. Um, I try to be, you know, full, like totally full by the end of dinner, but I still, you know, before going to bed, feel like hungry. So then I try to, you know, eat a snack before bed because I don't want to go to bed hungry when I'm training. So do you have any recommendations, any thoughts on that, first of all, but then if I am having a snack, like what should I be eating before bed? Yeah, sure. Um, You know, I don't know how y'all's lifestyle was pre-kids, but for us, we would go train and then we would eat dinner at like eight or nine o'clock at night, right? Because that's what yeah. we got home and that's what we ate. Now having kids, we eat at like six, Yeah, you know, but then yep. we don't go to bed until 10 or yeah. 11. So, you know, if you think about that mindset, it's okay to have a snack. Like logically, um, if you eat probably three or four hours later, it's very normal to eat again. And so if you eat at six, it's okay to be hungry at nine. You know, like you don't have to feel guilty or bad for going, oh, it's nine o'clock at night. I'm hungry. Like you're exactly right. You're training. You you need to eat. And so having a snack is completely acceptable. Like that's a good thing to do. Um, And so, you know, how how and what and what could that snack look like? Um, I would say have some sort of carbohydrate and protein. Or if you're like, well, I'm not getting up in the morning to train then you could just focus on like a protein rich snack. And so, and that's going to be more satiating for a longer period of time, you know? So say you eat a snack at like nine and you you just sit down and have like an apple or you have, um, I don't know, a, a cup of like regular yogurt. There's not a ton. So if it's Greek yogurt, there's more protein, right? But if it's just regular yogurt or, you know, an apple, there's going to be a lot more carbohydrate in that. And that's fine, but it's not a long-lasting level of satiation. So carbs give you quick energy, right? That's why all of us fuel with stuff that breaks down into sugar, which is carbohydrates. Um, Well, if you sit down and eat apple, there's some fiber, but it's also a lot of carbohydrate, which is fine. Carbs are fine to eat, but they're not going to satiate you. So if you eat that at 9, you're probably going to be hungry again at 10. And you're going to wonder why I'm hungry again. I just ate an apple, right? Because it's just like scientifically, it's not supposed to last a long time. And so putting some protein, you could do like nuts. You could do peanut butter. That's got a little blend of fat and protein. Um, You could do casein. That's a slower digesting protein. So you could do that in the evening. Um, You could do a bowl of like Greek yogurt and granola and fruit. So, you know, some of it too would depend on like what's your training the next morning? You know, are you doing some like horribly difficult the VO2 ride in the morning, well, like, yeah, go ahead and have some carbohydrates. Don't feel bad. Have some protein to feel satiated. And like you're topping off your glycogen the night before, you'll probably have a better ride in the morning. 
you know? So it's kind of first having permission to eat that snack because now you eat dinner earlier because you have kids. So you're not eating dinner late. Um, and then being aware of, okay, what is my training tomorrow and what does it look like? And then how can I feel best to like start my training in the morning, you know, at topped off and as, as strong as I possibly can be. So I think that's something about nutrition. A lot of people, um, they come to me and they want to know how to approach their intake. And, you know, you, you do want to look at your intake for like your next training, right? Mm -hmm. Like you do want to be aware of what's coming up next, but you also kind of have to look at it as a big picture. So you can't just look through the peephole, you know, of what's next. You also have to look at, well, what's tomorrow? You know, do I have a a four-hour bike ride and then I have a, you know, 30-minute run afterwards? Well, today's recovery day, but, like, tomorrow's a long training day. So I'm not going to eat less today because it's a recovery day. Like, I need to continue eating and feeling because tomorrow's a big training day, you know? So it's kind of balancing all of that. Yeah. I was going to say, Amy, my favorite snacks that I was in a really good habit of for 2020 was either the casein protein shake late at night or a bowl of cottage cheese with some fruit if I was getting up early in the morning, which still had the protein, but also the carb that Krista was mentioning. But it was always a major way that allowed me to hit my protein targets was to get that last bit of protein in before bed. (laughs) Yeah. So I like doing that. Yeah. I do a lot of cheese and crackers or the like Greek yogurt with granola and fruit. And, and sometimes, you know, I'll do a bowl of cereal because it's easy, but that's definitely more of the carbs, especially because I'm using more like oat milk or almond milk. So Mm -hmm. less protein there, Mm -hmm. probably. (laughs) So there's actually a milk. Um, I don't know if you have, it's not like in, so in Texas, we have H-E-B. That's our big grocery store. It's like a huge, amazing grocery store. But this is not an H-E-B brand. So you might be able to find it. It's called Ripple Milk. Hmm. Ripple is the brand. I've seen that. And it's much higher in protein. Mm -hmm. And so with my second son, I actually gave up dairy to see if it would help him. Um, And so. When I was pregnant with both boys, I craved milk, like so much milk. I don't know why. Um, and so then after having my second son, I had to switch over um, while I was still breastfeeding him. And ripple milk to me was a very similar like texture. I'm a textural eater. And mm-hmm. so it was a very similar texture to regular milk. Um, and so for, for anybody that's vegetarian or vegan, ripple I would recommend they have great, um, just regular milk, chocolate milk. Um, and then anybody who's not vegetarian or vegan, um, that does drink milk, a higher protein option. Um, if you're in Texas, the brand is Mutopia. It's a HEB brand. If you're not in Texas, you can get something called, um, fair life. And so fair life milk, those are both cow milks, but they, the way they're processed, they have a lot more protein left in the milk. Mm. Um, and so it's a higher milk option or oh. a higher protein option. I've seen that one too. Okay. Nice. That's so if you want to have your cereal. Yeah. 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 That's good to know. If you want your cereal, just look for a protein, a milk that has a higher protein content in it. Nice. Yeah. Oh, I love that. These are great tips. So 
switching gears like a little bit, um, when you are working with your endurance athletes that are, you know, training, um, long hours and maybe getting ready for a race, what is something you might look for in feedback from them that tells you that one of like their macros or if they're an athlete working with you on portions or whatever might need to be adjusted? Um, so it's important to have like an open line of communication. The, the more feedback you can give me, the easier I can kind of brainstorm and give you direction and recommendations. Right. And so if a lot of times needs will change, if we've been working together and everything's been great and then all of a sudden, like something's tanking, right. Or like, they're just not recovering well and their training's fine. It doesn't have anything to do with that. And it's their nutrition. Normally it's that kind of feedback, like, man, I'm really tired or I'm not able to hit these numbers that I should be able to hit that I was hitting. Um, you know, it could be stress. It could be sleep. It could be training volume. It could be you're in a build phase and you're just getting, you know, pummeled because that's the phase you're in for training, right? Like that's the purpose it's to build. Um, but if you look at all of that aside and go, okay, something is up nutritionally, that is when like, okay, we've gotten some negative feedback in terms of how you're feeling or how you're able to execute things. Let's look at your intake. And normally they just aren't eating enough. Like normally they're needing to eat more. Um, or if they, for some reason, um, adjusted their, their type of nutrition. So say they, they want to try a new type of sports nutrition. Um, then that's when we pay really close attention to like, okay, how are you feeling? Do you have any caffeinated options? Do you not have caffeinated options? You know, are you changing the time of day you're training? Are you starting to have two-a-days and you didn't have two-a-days? And so now you're needing to adjust your recovery intake. So it's a lot of kind of brainstorming and like feedback from them. But most of the time, um, if their daily intake is on target, then that's setting them up to have really good performance. And so then we say daily nutrition, right? Got to nail that so that then your nutrition during your performance and training everything is, is on target too. Um, but yeah, if they're feeling really tired, if they're not hitting their numbers, if they're like, like strangely emotional and it's like, it doesn't have anything to do with anything else, you know, then we may look into some of that. Um, so I would say for the general healthy athlete, that's kind of what I would be looking at. Or if their sleep is kind of off, um, they're not sleeping soundly, your nutrition can impact that. Um, or if they're getting sick, if they're getting sick for some weird reason. Um, so yeah. Okay. The next question someone wrote in about, but I also have a very similar question personally. And so getting into iron, which I know can be a struggle for a lot of women specifically, we had one listener write in and they were asking about iron and ferritin levels. And saying that they have super low ferritin, which has never been higher than 30. And I think, I mean, when I get ferri my ferritin tested, they're often looking for a range to maybe like 50 to 150. You know, it sort of varies by test, I think. Um, but then this person also found that their iron and transference levels were borderline high. And I don't know if you know about, you know, those specific things. Um but also just generally, like, I struggle with low ferritin. I take an iron supplement. I recently had it tested and I was still sort of 
below the recommended range. And so it's like, how do I get my my iron up? And yeah, I don't know if you know much about the difference between measuring ferritin versus iron, but yeah, what can you share with us there? Yeah. So if you think about ferritin, ferritin is basically like, um, it's, it, it's correlating to the amount of iron that you have in your body. Okay. And, and if you have, it, it correlates to your hemoglobin level, to your red blood cell level, and which in directly relates to, um, how much energy you have, right? So its job is to transport oxygen throughout the body. And so if you don't have a good amount of ferritin, you aren't going to transport oxygen appropriately and as efficiently. You're not going to have as much hemoglobin or red blood cells. And so your energy is not going to be as um, optimal as it could be. So that's kind of, that's ferritin's job, right? Transferrin, transferrin, its job, think of it as like a bus, okay? And so if it's a bus, it, it transports, it takes, it carries the ferritin to the cells. And so it's very, it, it's not abnormal to think like, oh, well, if my ferritin is low and my transferrin is high, well, the bus has a lot of seats open. And so if your ferritin lo- level is low, there isn't enough of that to fill the bus. And so if that level is high, then we obviously our iron intake is low. It's not that our body is not transporting the iron efficiently. It's that it doesn't have enough iron to be able to transport. So if your ferritin is low and your transferrin is high, that still is indicating that you need to increase your iron consumption or how it's taken in, right? Because one thing I've heard with iron is like with my iron supplement, I think it's that I'm supposed to avoid having it close to when I have calcium, uh, Mm -hmm. but it's good to have with like orange juice. So I assume that's because Mm -hmm. of vitamin Vitamin C. C. So I think one issue I may have had is that a lot of times, like I take my supplements at night because that's when I remember. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But also I'm having this nighttime snack we've talked about, which often includes Mm -hmm. a lot of calcium for me. Yeah. So, and then when I think about it, it's like, well, when am I not having calcium? calcium? I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of times, but like in the morning, you know, if I'm having Greek yogurt or whatever, like, is that also not a good time to take the iron supplement? So, no. Nope. And maybe I need to be getting more iron with my food. <laughs> you could. So, yes, you're exactly right. You want to avoid calcium and iron together because they, they basically go through the same door for absorption. Um, and so they're going to fight for absorption. So that's why you want to have a couple hours in between your calcium, whether it's food or supplementation, and your iron intake. And yes, vitamin C and iron, um, it basically increases your ability to absorb. So it, it, they help each other. Just like vitamin D and calcium, you want to take your vitamin D when you take your mm-hmm. calcium because they help each other out. Your vitamin C and your iron help each other out. Mm-hmm. So you want to have a couple hours in between that. Okay. Yeah. I was trying to remember. I knew that calcium was supposed to be taken with something. But when I was like, wait, it's not iron. Which mm-hmm. is it? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... <laughs> Sounds yeah. like Amy, if we were going to analyze your day, you could have your Greek yogurt in the morning and then you need like a snack a few hours later of like a cup of orange juice and a piece of toast or something without <laughs> your cheese or your yogurt or your milk. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Or like at lunch, you know, if you aren't having any kind of dairy, then you could do it then. Um, Mm -hmm. So that would be an okay time. Or thinking about, you know, if you get up and have an early morning workout, just take your iron. Some people will take a vitamin C um, capsule with their iron, just Mm -hmm. so you're you're taking vitamin C and iron. Um, Mm -hmm. Or, yeah, like a swig of orange juice. Um, And then do your workout. And then, you know, proceed with your morning breakfast. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm not a huge like pill pusher or supplement like pusher, but there are times where I believe depending on your lab work, a supplementation might be what you should pursue um, in order to be able to get your levels back to an appropriate place. And then, you know, so have your blood work checked. What do you need to change? And then have a scheduled time to have your blood work checked again to make sure that you can stop your iron supplement, you know, if if that's the supplement that you're on. Um, But in terms of like food sources, how you increase your iron and your ferritin. um, So iron, there's there's two different types of iron. There's a heme type of iron and there's a non-heme iron. And all that means is it's where it's coming from food source wise. Um, a heme iron is coming from your animal sources and it's considered a complete iron, um, compound. When you get it from an animal source, um, that would be like red meat, right? Or seafood like mussels or clams or oysters that has a good level of iron in it. Um, but there are a lot of people that don't want to eat that on a regular basis. And so, you know, that's, that's kind of where we go. Okay. If you have a food preference, Um, you know, if you prefer not to eat red meats, um, I mean, you could even start with one, one day a week, right? And it could be a super lean red meat. It could be venison. It could be buffalo. It could be lean ground beef. But if you don't want to do that, that's fine. That's your food preference, right? Like there's, you can get iron from other options. And so yes, the supplement is fine, but your, your, um, vegetarian options or your vegetables and and your non-animal sources are going to be coming, uh, are going to be providing a non-heme option, which is basically like an incomplete compound. And so all that means is you need to eat a variety of these foods that are higher in non-heme iron to be able to have more of a complete iron um, compound when you consume it. Okay, so so foods would be like um, prunes, figs, dates, raisins. So some of your dried fruits. Um, So that could be like part of a snack, right? Like you could throw some of that into a snack. Um, Beans, most beans have a non-heme iron, um, your tofu options, nuts. And then you have like fortified uh, cereals or fortified oats. So you have some of your fortified grains. They're going to have non-heme. Fortified just means it's added in, like it's provided with it. Um, And then, you know, the... And an interesting thing about nutrition is sometimes when you cook a vegetable, your vitamins and minerals actually are more more bioavailable for the body. Mm. Um, and so it's kind of like sometimes adding a little bit of heat to your, your vegetables like spinach or Swiss chard or artichokes. Those are really high in non-heme iron. And when you cook them, it actually improves your body's ability to absorb that non-heme iron. So not that you can't ever eat raw spinach, but if you eat a variety, right, that's kind of where sometimes nutrition doesn't sound like sexy and hot and really like cool, right? 
But ultimately, if you eat a variety of food and if you eat it in a variety of ways, um, you're going to get your body what it needs. Obviously, you need to be mindful of, okay, I need to eat more spinach or I need to, you know, focus on adding nuts into my intake or I'm going to do some beans and add some tomato paste and make like more of a, you know, Mexican dish or whatever it is. But ultimately, if we eat balanced and we eat a variety and we eat throughout the day, um, most of the time your body, it's an amazing machine and it will get what it needs from your food as long as you're eating wholesome foods for the majority of the time. Yeah, that's what I always just tell myself. But then I think that maybe I'm... It's hard to balance, like, how much am I, you know, missing gains that I could have by altering my diet or focusing on it more versus, like, oh, I try to eat, you know, a lot of fruits and vegetables and, you know, grains and carbs and proteins and, like, just do it in a more holistic way. And so, um, yeah, it's sort of a an interesting balance. But even talking about tracking earlier, I feel less uh, nervous about that option (laughs) you know and I can see how there could be benefits and it wouldn't take that much like effort (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I and you're exactly right earlier when you were talking about like doing your dairy and impacting your iron other things that would impact it would be like coffee wine Mm. like black tea so certain things like that can impact your body's ability to actually absorb iron so it's just kind of being aware of, oh, I need to kind of rearrange these things because if I take my iron supplement and my calcium or sorry, my iron and my vitamin D and then I have a cup of coffee, like mm-hmm. all of those are interacting, <laughs> right? Like you have your yeah. coffee and your D and your calcium and your iron and like you're not you're not <laughs> absorbing as much of everything. Yeah, so. totally. So switching gears a little bit, getting into sort of the mental side of nutrition and performance I think one thing that's really tricky in sports right is balancing the fact that weight you know our body mass like does impact performance to some extent right I mean I'm really aware of it now with cycling because it's all watts per kilo everything's watts per kilo in Zwift it's watts per kilo you have to weigh yourself to put it in your racing profile you know Um, but then we also want to have a healthy mindset towards our bodies and we want to really focus on fueling for performance. So what are your recommendations for how to balance those two aspects? Yeah, I mean, I think for for everybody, we have this kind of sweet spot where, yeah, we want to drop and be lean and light, but we also want to be strong. And so when when you're trying to cut or alter your body composition, there's a certain level or a certain point where you get where your, your Watts drop, right? Like you, you, you aren't having gains anymore because you've, if you're trying to drop weight, then you're obviously restricting to a a certain point, even if it's within a healthy range, right? You're not eating as much as what your body needs to maintain a particular weight. And so, yeah, athletes sometimes need to drop or they need to, you know, shift their body composition. That's a, an okay thing to do within a healthy range. Um, but when you continue dropping with this ideal body composition, um, and then you start having 
losses in performance, that's obviously that should be a red flag for any athlete. Like, Hey, my performance is dropping. I'm getting sick for female athletes. I have no period. Like my menstrual cycle has stopped. You know, those are red flags. Um, or like if you're getting injured, um, all of that is, is not, you're not going to have performance gains anymore. Right. And so if this ideal weight or body composition starts negatively impacting other areas of your life, then that, that ideal body, um, composition is obviously not ideal for your overall health either. And so adjusting that is going to be something that sometimes I have to work with athletes and go, okay, I know that this was our goal, but there's some red flags here. And so we're going to have to kind of understand and accept that that's not going to be ultimately our goal anymore. That can't be because it's not healthy for you. Um, and so helping athletes sometimes understand like this ideal is, is not really ideal for you and, um, kind of accepting that. And, you know, in my opinion, being a little bit heavier, but having a higher FTP is actually sometimes better. Um, and I'm not meaning like 20 pounds heavier, right? Like, but being a little bit heavier and having a higher FTP, being able to put out more power and more speed and having a better performance and having better gains over the long term is makes you a better athlete, makes you a stronger athlete, you know? And so it's not, it's not wrong. It's not bad to have kind of weight goals and, and performance goals, but when the weight impacts the performance in a negative way, then that's when the athlete needs to reassess like, okay, obviously what I thought was going to be beneficial for me is no longer beneficial for my performance or my health. So I need to change that mindset. Yeah. So keeping all of that in mind and the fact that people also might have different goals at different points from trying to maybe gain weight, lose weight, gain strength, muscle mass, so many different things. How do we create a positive environment with our friends and our teammates around food that doesn't feed into any problematic culture issues about body weight or image or weight loss? Yeah, I think that, you know, to an extent, we have to remember that as athletes, we're not the general population. And so sometimes that, you know, we we get bombarded with diet culture. We get bombarded with um, things that aren't necessarily beneficial for our athletic performance. And so we can kind of get thrown into this mindset of, well, but this isn't good for this person, so it might not be good for me. Or you know, this person that I aspire to be like is doing this or they're promoting this. And so I'm going to then try to do what they're doing. And so kind of realizing one, we're not the general population, you know, and, and sometimes that's really hard for an athlete to hear. Like for instance, you know, when I tell an athlete, you should eat white rice or white pasta the night before your, um, race, right. You don't need to eat whole grain, um, anything or high fiber, anything right before a race or, or, Maybe don't eat a salad the night before a race. You know, that that feels very weird for the athlete, especially to hear it from a dietitian, right? Who people assume like were these the holy grail of food, right? Like, and this I'm telling you not to eat your vegetables. Well, you're not the general population. You know, like we're shifting that mindset and we're looking at nutrition 
for fueling your performance. And so kind of on top of that, if we, if we aren't the general population, shifting that mindset and looking at food as fuel, like if you can look at your food as your um, fuel, which will help you optimize your performance, that takes some of like the emotional um, and negative mindset away from your food. And kind of, Jen, like what you were saying is when you track, it gave you the permission, right? It kept you on track. It's the same thing with athletes. Like if we shift that mindset to allowing ourselves to eat in a way that will help optimize our performance and we take away as we can't omit, but if we can reduce or take away some of the emotions around food or some of the, um, you know, feelings around food and just look at it as, am I feeling for my performance? And if I am, then I can be confident in my food choices. That will help kind of release some of the imprisonment that sometimes um, we feel around food. I think something else that that people tend to do is um, people will sometimes make comments about your food, right? Or they do about mine and, and that's okay. I know it's coming, right? Not, I've accepted that. But unless you are paying me to be your dietitian to tell you what to eat and when to eat it, um, then I have no right to tell you or to judge what you're eating. Like that's not my job, right? And it's nobody else's job. It's not your teammates. It's not your husband's or your significant others. It's not your um, parents. It's not your friends. It's, it's your job. If you're an athlete and you're an adult and you are trying to feel for your performance, then you need to be able to determine what you need. And nobody else has the right to comment about your food. Um, now, will people still make comments? Yes. And sometimes they think they're so absurd that like you can't possibly believe what they said, right? But that comment could end up impacting you for your next meal or for the next week or for the next month or for the next meal right before a performance right? That then you end up tanking because this person made some comments about your food that ended up preventing you from feeling properly that now has impacted your performance. So it's sometimes people just don't realize what they're doing, um, especially if they have no exposure to anybody who does struggle with relationships with food or to like body image or, you know, things like that. And so being able to stand up for yourself if somebody starts commenting about like how much you're eating, right? Or like what you're eating is kind of empowering. So if you can do that and it's an appropriate thing, that would be good. Um, if it's somebody that you feel like you can communicate with and be like, hey, that that kind of impacted me uh, more than I had assumed. So maybe we can kind of just leave food comments out, you know, um, or maybe just redirecting the comments. You know, if somebody starts talking about how much or what you're eating, just redirecting the conversation around to something else. If you know that that's going to be kind of triggering for you. Um, but yeah, food and diet culture and like the mindset around food and the guilt and the shaming and, you know, all of that is so, um, if you say normal, like in our culture that when you start looking at, um, your mindset around food as an athlete, 
if you can pull some of that like emotional connection with food out and go, I know with confidence that I'm feeling for my performance, um, that will kind of help you shift more into a positive feel and a more confident feel with your food. Yeah, totally. I, I like it too, with my kids, like talking about food as fuel and, you know, talking about it as, oh, you eat this food so that you have energy to go and play. And, you know, of course, then my son will come back and say, oh, like, I don't need any more energy or, you know, whatever different things, Uh, you know, it's a whole world there. But like, I really like that mindset. And I find that it helps me a lot. And it helped me a lot, too, in like the early postpartum breastfeeding phase, because that's a period when you maybe don't love how your body looks because you just had a baby and it's like still, you know, you're it's in a process of shifting back from that. And but what's difficult is that you have to be fueling because you are trying, you know, if you are nursing or breastfeeding or pumping, like you want your body to produce milk so that you can provide that for your child. And so it's this hard, like, I always just had to like shut my mind off for any, any time, you know, I would look in the mirror, any like comments or thoughts that I would have and just be like, I need to put that on the back burner and not think about it. And my body will do its thing, but I need to make sure that I am fueling so that I can, you know, make milk. (laughs) And so I think that's one time when it really uh, is a helpful mindset also. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you're if you're athletic and you've been performing at a high level and then you get pregnant, um, that's that's very hard for any female, whether you have body image issues or eating disorders, anything like that, like it's hard on every female and your mindset. And so and you watch your body change and grow. And there's part of you that's in awe and amazed that like you have a little human in your body and you're, you are helping them grow and develop. And then, you know, you have them and you, you want to get back to who you were and you want to become more active. And, and honestly, that's one of the reasons why I had my sons pretty close is I wanted them to be like best friends But I also wanted to have kids and that to be like, it's an amazing chapter, but I also wanted to be able to kind of close that chapter of having kids and get back into the sport that I loved, you know, and maybe that sounds selfish. I don't know, but like having kids is great and amazing, but I also didn't want to lose part of myself. And, um, I love racing and I love competing and I love just completely like obliterating myself on a race day. Like that is that gives me a high that nothing else can. But, you know, as females, we have to also, like you were saying, accept that throughout that whole process, our bodies have to change. And we, if we embrace that and we accept that like our bodies have to change, we are fueling a baby. And now we're continuing to fuel a baby through breastfeeding. Um, your body will change. Give yourself grace, give yourself time. Um, because it took you nine or 10 months to get to where you were and then you're breastfeeding and or pumping and it's going to take you a couple more months to, you know, get all of that changed and, and adjusted again. 
Well, hopefully we can have you on again to talk even more about that side of things, the pregnancy stuff and postpartum. Um, But for today, let's wrap things up and go into our closing segment where we like to share Go Mamas. Go Mama. Go Mama. Go Mama. Go Mama. Go Mamas mamas can be any small triumph or thing that's making us happy this week. Krista, do you have a Go Mama you want to share with us? I do. So um, I do for both boys. And and for myself, I'm trying to, my go mama is basically relinquishing some of my control with both of my kids at age appropriate levels. (laughs) And so my my two and a half is um, on week two of potty training and he's doing great and we're progressing and it's exciting. And, and so I've kind of, you know, with my first son, I was way more anxious and way more stressed and way more regimented. And now having two, I'm like, okay, it's going to be okay. Like if, if we're out in public and and he has an accident, it's okay. You know, whereas the first time around, it was like horrifying. Now I'm like, (laughs) it's part of having kids, you know, you, you, it's, it's okay. And so relinquishing that and, and he's doing great and it's very exciting and he's very proud of himself and everybody stops and rejoices, you know, when it Mm -hmm. happens. Um, and then with my older one, again, relinquishing some of that control, like he's started getting up in the morning and like, he wants to go brush his teeth on his own and, and comb his hair and like do all his morning stuff on his own. And he's, um, he's investigating and, and learning what some new boundaries are around that and investigations in the bathroom by himself. Um, and so again, relinquishing, like, I'm not going to hover him. You know, if he's in the hour in the bathroom for an hour doing his hair, fine. As long as he's not getting in trouble <laughs> and that's what he wants to do in the morning, fine. You know, so just kind of uh, relinquishing some of that control this week has been my my go mama moment. That's great. I love it. Jen, what's your go mama this week? Mine is like a similar theme of relinquishing some control. Um but might be like a little controversial for any anyone out there who has like a really good grasp on toddler sleep. Um, but <laughs> for those that don't know, like I've been in limbo for what's going to be going on four weeks now in a few days. And when we first got here, like Maddox was going down for bed basically like normal. And but the problem was he was waking up in the middle of the night in a crib one foot away from the bed I was sleeping in and wanting to come into bed with me. So I was letting that happen. Um, But now we're at a point where he just doesn't want to go to bed without me. And I spent like a couple weeks, like maybe two weeks or a week and a half, like battling bedtime every night and then get just getting to the point where I had zero time to relax and I don't sleep well if I don't like unwind after he's gone to bed. And this week I have just decided I'm not going to worry about it. Like, if he wants to hang out with me till 10, cause I need to hang out till 10. It's what's happening. We have eight more days till we move into Reno. If I, I'm still like going to read his three books and see if he'll go down, but I'm not going to spend an hour to an hour and a half in the room trying to get him to sleep and then feeling like, well, now I need to start my nighttime routine. So, um, I'm kind of just like, you know, Devin is literally leaving Florida today. He'll be here in four days. Maybe things will change when he gets here. Maybe it won't change till we're fully moved in in Reno. 
But I was like causing myself so much stress. And then I was sleeping like crap anyway, because I was like so heightened, right? So might not be what everyone would do, but it's like just what I'm going to do for now. And I'm just, I'm proud of myself for just making that decision because, you know, like two nights ago, he stayed up with me or sorry, three nights ago, he stayed up with me. Then the next night he did go to bed at eight something And last night you stayed up with me again. And I'm like, you know, I got better sleep those three nights than I did like for a week and a half before Mm -hmm. that. So (laughs) that's my Mm go-mama. Well, what do you have for us, Amy? Okay, my go-mama, I'm so excited about. It happened yesterday and I got to help a friend with a proposal on a bike ride. (laughs) So my really good friend, Travis, he is the one who he reached out to me about a year ago and was recruiting for the bike team that I'm on now. And so he basically recruited like all of our women's team. There was like one person on the team last year and he recruited maybe two and he recruited everyone else. And so that's how, you know, all year I've been talking about how great our team is. And he's the guy who just like he's a community builder. He's so you know thoughtful and generous with his time. And his partner, Rebecca, they decided that they would propose to each other. And so Rebecca reached out to me and she was like, can you help me with the proposal? I really want to do it on a bike ride because obviously Travis loves riding bikes. Rebecca, you know, is like comes with us on races and and stuff and is definitely like part of the group. And and so we planned it all. He had no idea. There's one of one member of our team who's moving to Denver in a couple of weeks. And so she was like, we should just say it's a going a farewell ride for me. And Travis totally bought it. And I was so nervous all day because we were getting air quality warnings. Um, We were, the temperature was like a hundred degrees. It was just like a crazy day. And I was like, no one's going to come, but the air quality got better. It was, you know, below a hundred AQI and the temperature honestly didn't feel that bad. And we had just a, a nice ride. We rolled out, we crossed over the bridge that we were gonna meet under for the photo and for like the whole thing I texted Rebecca and I was like we're on the bridge and she was like no like I'm almost ready and so we divert to a random spot where I'm like oh we have to take a different photo first like because I'd been saying oh I want to go to this spot where we can take a photo so we took a random photo random diversion and then went back and he was like so surprised and he at first thought that she was just there like taking photos and then he was like wait I know what this is And also to top it off, she proposed with a gold chain because he has been with like his bike racing. He's been getting like fake gold chains off Amazon and and wearing them as sort of a joke all season. And so now he has a real engagement gold chain and he's already done his proposal to her, which was at Crater Lake with his kids. And so it was super fun to be a part of that. (laughs) Oh, that sounds really special. It's just, you know, when you see two people who are, like, just, like, such good people and, like, they, you know, get to, I don't know, have a special moment and you get to be a part of it. It's, like, the best. (laughs) Well, that's it for our show this week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We can't wait to share more of our experiences through pregnancy, postpartum, and with young kids. New episodes come out every Friday. If you have any topics you want us to cover or any other guests that you want us to have or any questions for Krista, our nutritional expert in future episodes, you can reach out to us on Instagram at Moms of Triathlon or email us at momsoftriathlon at gmail.com.